0: This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joining us is Chris Churchill, longtime news columnist for the Albany Times Union. Let's start with a column uh, that you did earlier this week about uh, an act that's proposed called the Child Victims Act.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? The Child Victims Act is this kind of long, long discussed uh, comes with the legislature every year bill, which would raise the statute of limitations for crimes committed against children, uh, sexual abuse crimes committed against children. Um, right now, New York has one of the strictest statute of, statute of limitations in the nation, which basically says that after the age of 23, you can't uh, sue or file criminal charges. Um, mm-hmm for things that were done to you while you were a child. And the, the, that, that part is not controversial. Everybody agrees that that should happen, that statute of limitations mm-hmm. should be raised. But what's very, very controversial is this idea of a, that the bill includes, which is a one-year look-back window, which would allow anybody who was ever abused as a child to uh, file a lawsuit, mm. a civil lawsuit. And so opposition
0: to this idea comes from what, the church? or It comes the,
1: from the Catholic Church in part. It comes from groups like the Boy Scouts. Um, if you, you know, those are the two groups that have been most publicly identified as being opposed to it. Um, they, they both fear that if you allow people to sue who claim that they were abused 40, 50, 60 years ago, that those cases would essentially be... Impossible to defend because mm-hmm. the person who was, who may have done the abuse may be long dead, can't defend himself. All the records mm-hmm. could be gone. I mean, all you would really have was a victim statement. And they're worried that you don't know how a jury might respond to that.
0: And the quest- another question comes up, and you were pursuing it in the column, and it's still kind of unresolved, I think – well, but you tell me, what what do what do teachers say about this? I mean, I think it's possible... Well, saying, that's yeah. that's
1: what's interesting. Like I said, the Boy Scouts and the Catholic Church have been publicly opposed to this. If you look through some of the lobbying records that are, you know, the, the disclosures that are required to be filed with the state, you'll see that a lot of other groups have been lobbying against this too, including many insurance companies or the insurance industry, essentially. And it looks as though NYSET, this the teachers union based in, in Latham and the... Uh, the uh, teachers union for the New York City teachers have also been lobbying against this um, they've lobbied for they've lobbied on it they, mm-hmm. you know the records don't say what they were lobbying for but uh, um, they have lobbied on it
0: but uh, you had an interview with somebody from the
1: union and he would not really confirm that. Or something like that. He said that they're not actively lobbying on it. He wouldn't, say, he wouldn't say they have no official position on the bill. He wouldn't answer any questions about the bill. This is the nicet spokesman, Carl Korn. Um, and part of me, as I said in the column that I wrote, part of me understands that. To come out against the Child Victims Act is a very, very difficult thing to do, as the church knows. I mean, you you are basically coming out against, or you know, in the public's mm-hmm. eye at least, coming out against abuse, uh, victims of terrible abuse. Um, but the one of the big questions about the Child Victims Act is whether it will include public institutions, that look-back window, whether somebody abused in a public school, say, would be able to sue, or if it's just going to be private institutions. Mm. As you can understand, that would be... There's a little bit of hypocrisy about that if the government is saying, well, everything that happened in Catholic schools is OK for a lawsuit, but we're going to shield public schools. So the suspicion is, is that nicet was lobbying to try to get public schools excluded. OK.
0: Well, let's uh, move on to another yeah. topic, but it has to do with children. Uh, you had a, you wrote a column recently on free-range parenting. Yeah. Uh, Assemblyman Phil Steck has proposed a free-range parenting bill what what can that mean
1: well there we if you if you follow this sort of thing and i don't know how many people do i guess a lot of parents do i'm a i'm a parent of a a four-year-old yeah yeah um you you'll on facebook and you'll see a lot of cases where parents are charged for neglect for essentially leaving their kid in the car for a few minutes or Mm -hmm. letting their kid walk to the park by themselves or letting a child play in the park by themselves all the things that parents did 20 30 40 years ago without mm-hmm.
0: thinking, thinking twice about, about it, about it. it yeah. yeah
1: it's we've come to a point where um, it's almost become unusual to see children walking around in, in many neighborhoods because they're all stuck inside or in organized activities so uh, Utah passed a bill that says that's okay let your if you want to let if you may, as a parent make a decision that your 10 year old is is responsible enough to walk to the corner store, you won't get in any trouble for that essentially and so that that bill has gotten a lot of attention across the country and so Phil Steck is is among the people who are looking at doing something here in New York that would that would be somewhat similar
0: well i certainly remember those days when i was a kid a long time ago i mean it yeah. was very typical we just played outside yeah
1: so did i and i you know yeah. i'm i'm i grew up basically in the 80s right you know and if what's interesting is the perception is that it's much more dangerous to allow your kids to do that today than it was when I was a kid. And even when you were a kid, but the statistics don't show that it's actually crime rate is actually significantly lower now. And I think it's as low as it's been since the 1950s. Mm. So, I mean, if my mother was okay, letting me wander around and play with friends, then there's no reason that a parent today shouldn't be able to do the same. It's just this, there's this kind of culture of fear and paranoia Mm. and, Helicopter parenting that has yeah. kind of taken over.
0: Of course, there were more neighborhoods in, in the old days where people would wa- watch you, and other people would be around. And yeah, you word mean, might get back right to your parents. Right, you society has
1: changed in a lot of ways. I mean, another thing is neighborhoods are not designed quite as quite as you know. There are a lot of neighborhoods that are kind of more built for cars than they are for kids wandering around. But yeah, all right. Well, let's talk politics.
0: Uh, we have a governor's race in New York. Uh, uh, this year, we do finally. It's exciting. <laughs> and uh, Andrew Cuomo, the incumbent, is going to run for re-election. One presumes, uh, and but he has now an opponent in his own party, and uh, it seems that one. Uh, well, it seems to me that one of the uh, Republicans
1: has kind of risen to the top. Uh, Mark, would you agree with that, Mark Molinaro? Yeah, you know? John D. Francisco might disagree with you, but yeah, yeah, I think that most people. I think most of the party sees him as kind of the candidate they'd prefer to to have run. Yeah, mm. and he's from uh, down the Hudson Valley, the right? Duchess. He's the um, executive of Duchess County. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. He seems kind. He's well spoken. And yeah, he's well spoken. He's uh, he seems like a pretty decent. I mean, I don't know him that well, and I've never really, you know. Unless you follow Dutchess County politics, sure. I don't know that much about him. But he seems a fairly moderate, well spoken. He seems like somebody who could, under the right circumstances, catch fire. Sure.
0: On the Democratic side, there's a more liberal op- opponent for uh, Andrew Cuomo, yeah. Cynthia Nixon, who's mm-hmm. known as
1: an actress. She was on Sex in the City, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Which is, if people didn't watch it, was the kind yeah. of the uh, the uh, prototypical. New York City lifestyle show that aired on HBO, I guess, in the early 2000s. Mm Yeah. So, how's she doing? She's doing okay. I mean, she, you know, Republicans are absolutely giddy about about this because she's going around the state, you know, making a lot of the same arguments against Andrew Cuomo that they make, which is that his administration has been corrupt or at least that he has not pushed state, you know, ethics reforms very heavily. Um, She's pointing out all the trials, you know, the Prococo trial and the upcoming trials. She's uh, and then she's making kind of the more left left wing arguments against him, which is that, you know, he has um, kind of empowered Senate Republicans to block a lot of legislation that Democrats would otherwise have passed, including the Child Victims Act. Um, So, yeah, she's doing I mean, and you know, she's a celebrity so that she's getting a lot of attention doing it, which is, you know. Probably making Cuomo grind his teeth every morning. Yeah, and, and Cuomo had to fend off a similar challenge, I think, the last time. Right from Zephyr
0: Teachout. That's right. But this, uh, the current candidate, uh, probably got more name recognition among. Yeah,
1: many if people. you look at if you look at how Zephyr Teachout did, she did very, very well upstate, or surprisingly well upstate. She even won this area pretty handily. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact numbers now, but it was something like 60-40, Which I mean, you know, yeah. I know you're talking about an, a powerful incumbent governor. That's that's. Pretty, pretty good. remarkable. Yeah. But the with the problem she had is she never gained any traction downstate in the city. And so Cuomo just overwhelmed her in, with votes in, from New York City. Cynthia Nixon is different because she's actually very well-known in New York in City, New York city, city right. and less well-known upstate. And she, because she is a celebrity, she's able to get that kind of New York City tabloid media coverage that, that Zephyr Teachout was never able to get. I, I, I'm not sure that <laughs> – I'm not sure that Zephyr Ticcio was ever on the front page of one of the tabloids. Cynthia Nixon has already been on the front page several times. Mm. And um, the question is, so Cynthia Nixon is a threat to hit, to take a lot more votes in New York City. The question is, will she do as well as Zephyr Ticho did upstate?
0: We're just talking about uh, a celebrity uh, running for uh, governor. Uh, maybe we'll, I'll continue with an entertainment Theme, mm-hmm. you know, an interesting column about Roseanne. Oh yes, I, yeah. uh, it's funny. <laughs> I I like TV. And I really, in the sense, love TV, but I haven't watched Roseanne yet. But I've read about it. Yeah, and it sounds like something I'd enjoy. The revival of Roseanne, this yeah. sort of tough-talking um, woman who has the problems of the middle and lower classes. Right, right. But what kind? And you address this in the column. What What makes this even meatier as a, a subject? Is that Roseanne? Unlike so many people in showbiz, she says she voted
1: for Donald Trump and still supports him. Yeah, she's a she's a diehard. Yeah, she absolutely is. So, what do you think of it? Go ahead. Well, and she—that's in the show too, right? So, like, there's a—it's one of the first shows, fictional shows, anyways, or entertainment shows where I think we've seen a Trump supporter, and you know, her husband, played by Dan Goodman, is. John Goodman, I mean, John, his name, yeah, his younger. name is Dan on the show. Uh, <laughs> he's a Trump supporter too, and so you, you actually have like fairly sympathetic people who are Trump supporters on TV, which is, I mean, shouldn't shouldn't really be that surprising. But we it's just is something that Hollywood has never given us. Yeah, yeah.
0: But do you, do you uh, think the this show will you know will stand or, or I don't know? I don't know. The, you know,
1: when I wrote that, I wrote that after watching the first two episodes. And the first two episodes had this kind of all in the family, to go back to that show from the 70s, the all in the family tension between, you know, the the liberals, Jackie, Roseanne's liberal sister and Jackie and uh, Roseanne who argued, you know, Trump versus Hillary. And and uh, the first two episodes were good and they kind of had that. And then the third episode kind of was not, not of the same quality and part, I think, because they – They've made a conscious decision to drop all the political stuff. Really? Yeah, and they say they're not going to include that in future episodes, which I think is a mistake. I think that was what gave the show kind of its energy, Mm. you know. Because that's there's so much heat around politics right now. There there's room for good comedy about it. I I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: think there there should be. Um, Well, let's go to some topics in uh, or Albany or or one in Albany. Uh, What do you think of the proposal to turn a highway ramp into something else? Uh, the Skyway Project, yeah, it's, it's called.
1: Yeah, there's a yeah. This is the the ramp that kind of. They say it's a very lightly used ramp, at least compared to the other ones. It's uh, kind of on the. It's kind of by the Palace Theater. It's a ramp that kind of swoops around and goes down to Clinton Avenue, and um, they want to turn it into a linear park. The idea may work, it may not, but I think I argued in my column that people should at least give it a chance. There's been a lot of negativity about it. Um, You know, but at the at the worst, they're creating a park. You know, it's not uh, there's doesn't seem to be that that, you know, the worst case scenario would be a lightly used park. I don't really see why people would be so so bothered by it.
0: Well, the controversy reminds me of uh, back when I was covering news in the 2000s at my in my hometown of Amsterdam Uh with in the. The project there was the pedestrian bridge, yeah, the bridge to nowhere, right? you know, no, you know very many people didn't like it, you know, and they the, still don't, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think they're kind of coming around because now that it's there, it's there, right? You know, and so they're they're starting to use it for events, you know, especially in the warm weather months, and um,
1: you know, so I think, yeah, that's a good analogy. I, mean, I should probably look at that for a future column because I mean, the difference there is that they were building something from scratch, right? I yes. mean. And this is, this is just taking right. a, a no, bridge it, that's already there. And, oh, yeah, and,
0: this was, a, you know, for, yeah. this, for Amsterdam, a big project. Right. And it was state-funded, or a lot of it was, you know, because they, they had it in a bond issue. Right. Back, I think when George Pataki was governor, but the, the real uh, push for it came from the woman there who's now the congressman, Paul Tonko. He really wanted this pedestrian bridge. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, anything, from my point of view, anything that gets people out, out and walking is a good thing. If you've ever been down to the... Uh, the bridge over the river in Poughkeepsie—that's a really, I, that's I've a seen remarkable it fr- thing
0: from afar. But that's, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, the difference there is that the views of the Hudson from on that from that bridge are, are much more dramatic than they are around here. You know. Yes.
0: Yeah. That, you know, and that's true from the Amsterdam Bridge. But it is remarkable what you can see from the middle of the river. Uh, I don't know what you'll be able to, you know, what will you be able to see from that highway ramp? I don't know. Yeah. You
1: know, I, I, since it is so lightly traveled, I was able to drive it really slowly and kind of get out here and there and try to look around the views. uh, To be honest, the views did disappoint me a little bit because there are some ramps, as most people know, some 787 ramps where you get up really high and you can really see a lot of stuff. This one really doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. You get, I mean, the, Probably the best view you get is of the central warehouse, which is that really ugly, <laughs> really great. ugly building that kind of looms right there. <laughs> you know, but yeah, so it doesn't have dramatic views, but it is well, it would provide a way for people to get from the city, from a neighborhood that's changing pretty rapidly with new apartments and stuff, you know, to the parks along the river. So you know, that's all good. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, let me uh, go to uh, a recent column you wrote about driverless cars. I think the column. Came out after they had a fatality, right? With a, yeah, a, yeah. a woman was was killed by a driverless car. But you um, raised other concerns about driverless cars. with yeah. which are?
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I I don't want to make it seem as though I'm against the idea of driverless cars. You know, that if you listen to what the advocates say of the potential benefits, there's they, they could be it could be a revolutionary thing you're talking about. And for people who don't know, I mean, there there are cars that they're being tested right now that are driving around without people behind the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, although th- in the testing phase, there's usually somebody s- sitting nearby to take take control if need be. But the idea is that some people think that within 20 or 30 years, the cars that are driven by human beings will entirely disappear and that we'll all be just zooming around in these driverless vehicles, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, there are a lot of benefits to that. It would be terrific for the elderly. It would be terrific for... Uh, kids. It'd be terrific for a whole, you know, mm-hmm. traffic jams would probably go away. There'd be less pollution. We wouldn't all have to own our own car. But there's a downside as there is with any technological change. And in this case, the downside is that millions and millions and millions of people will be put out of work mm-hmm. because of driving is one of the primary occupations, especially for people who don't have college degrees. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, Truck drivers, cab drivers. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Primarily. I mean, there. I think in 29 states, truck driver is the the leading occupation. Mm-hmm. So you know you're talking about putting a, a big chunk of the population out of work, and it's not clear that there would be any new jobs that would be able to hire hire people. And so I, my my point was we should be talking about that. My point isn't that we should block driverless cars from happening, but you have to at least acknowledge that there's a downside to this. And I think in all the rosy talk from politicians and corporate leaders who are obviously going to make a lot of money by not having to employ truck drivers. Everyone ignores this kind of this kind of negative downside.
0: And see, to me, you you made the point that the people who will be hurt by the the driverless cars, the truck drivers and the bus drivers, tend to be people who don't have a college education. Right. The same kind of people that maybe were neglected, let's say, by the Democrats in the last presidential election. Well, right. Yeah.
1: I mean, you you were a point. I, I point to NAFTA, which was the kind of the Clinton era trade agreement, which did a lot of good things, just like driverless cars might have created jobs in some parts of the country, but it also created massive job losses in other parts of the country. And those, the, those are the parts of, country, of the country that we saw flip from Obama to Trump. And a lot of that was because voters felt as though they were being, their concerns were being ignored. So it would be pretty ironic if, you know, as we enter the driverless car age, if we're going to ignore those voters one more time. Hmm.
0: We just have a few seconds left. You did a column after speaking to the widow of uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a woman named Elizabeth Moynihan.
1: Yeah. 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 She's still alive and well. I forget how old she is now, but she's she's doing very well. And uh, the column was just about Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And he, had, he died about 15 years ago exactly. And it was just kind of remembering him and what he brought to politics and how he, that kind of voice, that kind of moderate, willing to look at things from both sides voice is kind of missed in politics today.
0: Yeah. Good to have him back. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
0: You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590, also heard on 100.5. Our guest was Chris Churchill, Albany Times-Union news columnist. Read his columns Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays in the TU. Next week on Talk of the Town, not exactly equal time, but our guest will be Sarah Foss, news columnist for the Daily Gazette. I'm Bob Cudmore.